Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to The Nine Line Podcast, VA Southern Nevada's resource for veterans' health and services. My name is John Archiquette. I'm your host and a public affairs specialist here at the VA Southern Nevada. And joining me is my co-host, Joshua Gray. Hi, John. And with us today, we have uh, two special guests returning. We have the executive director of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System, Mr. Bill Karen. Hello, John. And a special guest today that is joining us for the first time, Dr. Ramu Kamanduri, and he is our chief of staff. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you got to be got to be on our best behavior now. I know, right? The bosses are here. The big bosses. <laughs> So, um, you know, the topic of the day, again, continues to be uh, the coronavirus. You know, we've seen a lot of changes over the past, you know, two months since we started this podcast. Um, You know, what kind of of changes, where are we now compared to where we were two months ago, last time we spoke? Uh, John, you know what, what's... What's interesting to me is we've come such a long ways in this, this virus as we've seen, um, how we manage it, how we treat it uh, is changing on a almost daily basis. You're seeing guidance coming out from the CDC that evolves. What I've found here is that it's become the new normal, um, that it's just something that we have to deal with. And, and although 80% of our hospital admissions are not COVID related at all, uh, there's still a significant percentage of COVID patients on our floors. So with that, we've had to learn to live with COVID, protect our staff, protect our veterans uh, at the, simultaneously while treating them. But really, uh, we have to continue to resume our normal operations. And, and we've come a long ways pre-COVID and into the current COVID pandemic on, uh, on bringing our patients back on board. And I know Dr. Komanduri has done some, some great work, uh, and we reflect every single week on where we were in terms of volumes pre-COVID into now and continuing to, to open up areas uh, safely and make sure that we're resuming those operations and growing those programs again. Dr. K, what what changes have you seen? You're on the front lines and you see this stuff on a daily basis. And I think what we see here, I mean, certainly one, we want to just, number one, thank all the veterans that rely on the VA and use the VA. Also, we want to thank our staff that are doing a tremendous job of taking care of these difficult, complex patients. Uh, if you want to know how difficult it is to take care of COVID patients, spend a day on a COVID caring unit where you're wearing a pepper, where essentially you're in a suit that is covering you up all day, and you have to step out of the area, clean up to have anything to eat or drink, and then go back in. So it's not an easy task. So our staff does a tremendous job of taking care of our veterans in this setting. And they've done a great job. Every day we see some veterans being discharged from our COVID unit. We have a specialized unit. So we've done a great job of of doing that. So the change we've seen is, as Mr. Karen said, learning to live with the COVID. Keep in mind that even with COVID, other diseases have not gone away. That's an important thing to know, that there are many other conditions, our normal conditions, still exist. And how do we continue to deal with those conditions whilst taking care of COVID? So that's what our focus has been. And you mentioned that um, things change. Like, as, as we learn more about the virus, how we do things change. How do you manage those expectations where people sort of get into, I don't want to say, they, they get into a rhythm of how to do things, and then all of a sudden something else changes? Because it seems like 
there's a lot of change fatigue out there right now. So how do you manage that not only with your staff, but then also with the veterans that are coming in for care and what they knew two weeks ago now isn't, and they feel like they're being jerked around? The, the resiliency of our staff, and I think Dr. Komenduri mentioned that earlier, I'm so proud of, of the team and the efforts because they care so much about every single one of our veterans that, that come through here and, uh, yeah, spend a day on the COVID unit. Uh, it's a tremendous undertaking that they take to manage those, those patients. But we've been very fortunate, uh, despite having a 24-7 news cycle that, that's just out there in this country and across the world, we've stayed committed to high-level communications working with the staff and every single day we put out an update uh, to our staff. We hold our incident command structure to make sure that we're talking to our infectious disease experts, our pulmonary critical care experts, of course our chief of staff, listening to the nurses up on the floors, listening to the service chiefs, listening to the staff, multiple forums for communication to make sure that we're answering those questions. And then as the situation evolves, we're able to put out new information and it's typically things are just getting fine-tuned now and some, some changes and some adaptations and let's tweak this, let's change that uh, a little bit to stay on, on top of the science because we want to go home at night and look in the mirror and, and stand proud and, and realize that we are, we are doing everything we can to provide the best, highest-level evidence-based care for our veterans. And I think that, I mean, you, you address the, the fact that, you know, this is constantly changing and even the people who are, you know, the leaders, you know, the most knowledgeable people about infectious disease in this country, you know, they're constantly learning new things. And, you know, as the virus changes and as, you know, what we know about it changes, you know, we, it's kind of important that we all remain flexible and, you know, adapt our lifestyle to, you know, a, a, you know accommodate that. And I think we also live in a very a difficult time where, I think everybody is beginning to believe their own facts rather than what is science. And it's important that we focus on science and not facts that they have. So the important thing we tell folks, and when you come to the hospital, we want you to wear a mask. You have to wear a mask. It's important to get care. One of the things that we were asking our veterans when they come in, wear a surgical mask that we're giving you, a medical mask we're giving you at the entry bay. Use that while we, when you enter in the medical center. When you leave, you can dispose of it or keep it. Then wear whatever other mask you want to wear at home. Well, we want to wear a cloth mask, whatever. So that we, when you come to the hospital, you utilize a safe mask, the best, safest thing that we can use in a hospital setting because there's less effectiveness of other types of masks in other environments. You may be fine in outside, but in a hospital setting, let's use one of these ones. You know, you talk about science. There, there's science that's out there about coronavirus, and then there's just information, which may be reputable, maybe not. I don't necessarily want to get into the, the go down that rabbit hole, but is, is there a, a, a point where there's too much information out there and, and not enough science? I mean, I think totally agree. We are such overwhelming amount of data. I mean, that's why medicine increasingly, I'll give you a good example. In certain pathological reviews, so much of it is now being done in artificial intelligence methods because it is harder for a human being to keep up. Increasingly, you're going to see x-rays being read in artificial intelligence method rather than mach- with machine learning rather than human beings. Right? We've already seen data supporting that. I think the challenge is no human being can keep up with the volume of information coming out. And people begin to pick out the information that they, well, I like this one, so I'm going to just listen to that one. Dr. K, I had a, a quick follow-up question about something you mentioned earlier. Uh, you talked about, you know, veterans coming in and, you know, taking the surgical masks that are, are available at the, the screening. 
Um, what are some of the changes we've seen in the masking policy recently? Because I know people you know see walk around in the grocery store wearing bandanas. I mean, there's been YouTube videos of people putting underwear in their face. You know, a lot of really weird methods of masking. I've seen somebody that had a crocheted mask that had holes in it about the size of a quarter, uh, but they're like, "I'm wearing a mask, so you can't you can't tell me." It's like, sure. Yeah. What is the what is our policy? What what kind of masks are we allowing? Yeah, and so we're a data-driven organization. So what is it? So if you look at the data on masks, one of the earliest ones that came out of Massachusetts General Hospital, looking at the advantage of wearing a mask working in a hospital environment when they had high rates of COVID earlier in the year versus people who are not wearing a high-grade level of mask. And the data showed it clearly reduced the risk of infection. So we know this is the best way, the only one of the few ways we have right now until things get better, right? So... For us, you know, we want to avoid some of those neck, uh, I don't know what the neck gaiters or that they wear, people wear, you know, maybe uh, that's not as effective. Thin layers of things, a lot of people are using thin layers of cloth, not very protective. So we want to use masks that are at least a couple of layers of cloth that is a three layers of work. They're talking about something that's good that you can wash and reuse. You, if you want to use the cloth mask, that's fine. But in a hospital setting, you come in here, you want to take care of yourself. Also take care of the other veterans that are here. We still have veterans coming in for chemotherapy that are very ill, immunocompromised. You don't want to put them at risk by wearing a less than effective mask. So you want to protect your fellow veterans and your family members and, and also, of course, protect our staff too. Well, I saw the, the recent CDC guidelines referenced a Duke study where they said that um, the aerosolization of particles, some of those cloth coverings were actually making it worse by like acting like a sieve, and they would actually project smaller particles a greater distance. Uh, so things like, like you said, um, neck gaiters, bandanas. Um, even, even those filter ones are the similarly, yes. Sure, yeah. So just to, just to kind of reiterate, there, there is a policy change coming mm -hmm. here at the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System, correct? Yeah, it's correct. It's in effect. It's, it's in effect okay. right yeah. now. Oh, it's in effect right in fact, now. So that okay. we don't, we want folks to wear, you know, not wearing those bandanas. So if you come in, if you have a cloth mask, certainly you can wear the cloth mask. But what we say is this. To me, if I walk into a new place and they're giving me a free, nice mask, why would I not take it? That's a good deal. And they're comfortable. I mean, we're all wearing yeah. them right now. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that's, I mean, that's an important piece of information. So if you don't have a cloth or one of the approved masks available, they will be given to you mm -hmm. when you come on site. So there's no, no excuse to not have one then. Yes. And, and most, I, I will say our veterans, uh, for the most part, have been extremely compliant and really mm -hmm. want to do the right things. And we've taken the approach where if we see someone who may have been given a mask and they were walking down the hall and we see that they're, they're not wearing it, we'll ask them politely. And, and if, if there's any confusion, we'll explain the, the rationale behind it, the science behind it. Uh, really, it's to do the right thing, uh, not just for our, for our staff. It's not a... It's really about all those veterans that are here, and many of which are quite ill, as Dr. Komandiri mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we see, you know, with the expansion of face-to-face -face services in the last few months, I mean, we've seen the population walking through the halls here at the levels it was pre-COVID. Sure, sure. um, you know, it was a little bit of a ghost town uh, mm -hmm. for a while because there were people who were kind of afraid to, to come in and to do their face-to-face -face services. And, you know, with the expansion of telehealth services, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, you know, we, we've seen a lot of people move to those, but there are some services that can't actually be done via telehealth or virtual medicine. Um, you know, we want to make sure we get veterans to come in for those appointments. How do we address some of those fears that they may have? So one is that uh, 
one, we, we are working hard to move to the telehealth direction. So our goal is, how do we get there? Our overall workload actually has been down compared to the pre-COVID era. So we're about 30% down or so, which is actually better than most other VAs. But we still want to get closer to where we were at pre-COVID. Because in some areas, we're up to almost 80%. But we want to ultimately make sure our veterans have the technology and support to be able to do video connect visits with us. So I do, I see patients this week. I've done video visits. I've done face-to-face visits. I've done telephone visits. So any method possible, any means necessary to take care of the veteran. That's my goal, right? So that's what I do with my own patients. So sometimes it may not work as well. So fine, we'll figure out a way to do a different method. So we have to do a good job of getting our staff to support it and use it and comfortable using video visits and our veterans to feel the same. But a lot of our veterans also like coming in face-to-face. So that's fine. One, when you come in, we need to make sure it's a safe environment for you. That's absolutely critical. So we need to make sure that you mask and your fellow veterans mask and staff mask. So we need to do everybody where that's safe. At the minimum, we do that, right? And maintain a good distance so we keep that six-foot distance. We've changed the waiting rooms. You see more frequent cleaning in the environments. You see a lot of steps that are being done that may not be noticeable, clear. Rooms being cleaned. All of that's changed in order to make it safer for you to come in and get care here at the VA. Do you find that uh, veterans are using, they're using VA Video Connect more, but are they also using services like um, telephone refills for for prescriptions more? Uh, And kind of the reason I ask is because just this morning, this is completely anecdotal, but walking around downstairs at around 9 o'clock, generally it's like Grand Central Station down there. There's a ton of people. There's one person waiting for, for a prescription. So to me, that's kind of a shocking thing to see because I'm, you know, I'm just walking, walking around. But to see something that was full and, and now that we're back to services and it, it picked up there for a while and now it's kind of gone, gone down a little bit, anecdotally, um, are, are you seeing people using those, those services more? Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're all... Um we all fall into paradigms and, and this has been a shift and if COVID has created nothing else we've seen a change in healthcare. we're seeing it in the school systems um, there's more hybrid approaches of face-to-face care via video connect leveraging the technology but many people just got in the habit of well i get my prescription every 30 days or whatnot i just go to the pharmacy i make it part of their their rounds mm-hmm. so to speak and despite much of the encouragement in, in telling people, let's try and get you a 90-day fill, you can do it mail order through the consolidated mail order pharmacy, it'll come right to your door, those kind of things. Um, again, paradigms. So now we have seen a shift. We're, we're doing a lot more mail order uh, refills than we have in the past. That, that actually brings up a, a good question. You know, with a lot of the news other than COVID driving, you know, driving the 24-hour news cycle right now, uh, there's a lot of concern about the post office. And some veterans have expressed concern about, you know, is there going to be a delay to my to my refills? Uh, what should I expect for something like that? Um, you know, and we want to be able to reassure veterans that mm-hmm. that's not the case. There, You know, we are doing everything we can to make sure that those prescriptions go out on time. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of factors related to the delay in in medications or other things going out. Part of the challenge of uh, going out is that now that because of this social distancing and being able to, transportation is not as easily available. Vehicles are not there. So it's not just the postal service, but there's a lot of other factors in it. So there's a little bit longer delay in getting it. But we've I've seen it in my own patients who've said, oh, look, this has been a little bit longer. So what we've done with pharmacy is to say, let's order prescriptions a little bit earlier, as Mr. Karen pointed out. Let's move toward more 60, 90-day fills so that you 
have a longer period of time. So we're doing our best. If, the, if there's an issue that the veteran doesn't get their medicine, you know, they call us. We work, work figure out a way to make sure we get the medicine to the veteran. And they're reviewing it daily to make sure that if there's any gaps in service uh, between the consolidated mail order pharmacy group, um, that location as well as our location here, they're always reconciling what's been shipped, what's where they are in transit. So if we see any potential lapse, they're they're looking at that right away to try and correct that. And and we've made some some strides in actually trying to make sure veterans have an easier way to fill or to request those refills. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, we just came up with a new mobile app I heard. Mm -hmm. There's a mobile app to, to fill the medicine. Also, another important thing, uh, veterans, My Healthy Vet, if we can get veterans to all enroll in My Healthy Vet, it is tremendous. And so anyone who's listening to this says, look, what is My Healthy Vet? Please sign up, get in. We can help you enroll. You have access to your medical record. You can order your meds. It's a great, great program. Yeah, and the uh, the mobile app is, is uh, RX Refill. Mm -hmm. So if you uh, want to look into that, if you have any uh, refills that you need, you know it's a, a great fast way to to get that done. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, gentlemen. Uh, come back, and we've got some uh, some important information about uh, our telemedicine figures, where we rank nationally on that, and we're going to look at a few more changes coming up at uh, VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call, your presence, your words, your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we want to get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health, there are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at taxpayer expense. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related health care news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette, and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. We are here with Dr. K, Dr. Kamanduri from the Chief of Staff of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And we have Mr. Bill Karen, the Executive Director of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. So we're talking, of course, about coronavirus. And one of the things that we touched on just a little bit uh, before the break, but I, want, I kind of want to get back into um, you know, easing veterans' concerns about coming in for face-to-face -face services, and we want to make sure that they know the importance of some of those those visits that can actually save your life. Mm 
Um, you said there was a study that was talking about some of the the other uh, repercussions of not coming in from that. Yeah, it's uh, exactly. So what we've seen because of COVID, what happened is we we've all become fearful, reluctant. Right. Perfect example. When my dentist calls and they want to do my cleaning, I said, well, I'll wait another couple of months. So maybe I don't need to go. Maybe I should go every six months, but maybe I might wait or maybe, you know, I might wait a little bit longer. So that's what people do. Well, and I know I'm delaying a little bit. Fine. But the other thing that's happened is when we look at strokes, the number of strokes presenting to the ER have dramatically decreased like 30 percent. High-volume cardiac cath centers have seen over 30%, maybe over like 40% decline in access to cardiac, cardiac cath procedures. So that doesn't mean people are not having heart attacks. Are we, are we that much more like healthy as a society? <laughs> yeah, though? like in, oh, six months, oh my goodness, nobody's having heart attacks or strokes, right? No. What's happened is because of COVID, people are reluctant to come in. So you're going to have people that are just saying, well, even if they have symptoms of stroke, they're not going in. They're having heart attacks. They're not going. So we're having that other problem that not presenting to the hospital. The third thing I want to mention is preventive care. Folks did not have access to preventive care. Good example. You didn't get mammograms. You couldn't get a mammogram during the height of COVID time in many parts of the country. So that has impacted diagnosis of breast cancer. So there's an interesting study that was just published last couple of weeks ago which, uh, from Quest. And they have thousands of thousands of people they track all over the all over the country where they are looking labs. And what they looked at is six common cancers. They looked at breast cancer, colorectal cancer, esophageal, pancreatic, gastric, and lung. And what they saw is over a forty percent decrease in cancer diagnosis from pre-COVID to the during the period of COVID, the height of COVID in different regions of the country. The good news is once COVID has declined and we see less and less, like in New York and Boston, these screenings have gotten better. Good news. So that's good news. So there's been some delay in screening because people are not coming in or couldn't come in because you couldn't get a mammogram in the, in the height of it. You can get a colonoscopy, and so all of those are done. So what is what does this calculate into? Just from cancer, so we're not counting strokes, we're not counting heart attacks, just from cancer because people didn't get these screenings we will probably see roughly 34,000 excess number of deaths related to cancer because they didn't get screened for these things. And they didn't catch it fast enough. Yeah, we, we didn't catch cancer. You had to diagnose early. So that's the important thing. So what we ask our veterans is, what's our critical things? Okay, let's come in, get screened. We may not have colonoscopies right away, or we are doing colonoscopies, but maybe the people are not doing as many screening yet. And what you're going to get is like, a large bow wave of folks coming in, like everybody. So suddenly when COVID's reduced, they all want colonoscopies, but there's just not enough people who can do colonoscopies. Hospitals were functioning at full capacity pre-COVID. So the fact now we're going to go back and say, oh, let's do all these procedures. It's not going to be easy to do. So what we have to do is, number one, do fit testing. Uh, you, you've heard about the fecal immunochemical assay test that is very well done, very well received. One to three years you could do. Fit testing is a good way to, to monitor stool samples, and people have heard it on TV. Something similar to it is called Cologuard. Similar to coming in to get fit testing is one way to do it. But you can do it at home, the sample, and send it back. We can check if there's blood in the stool. We can also have, if we need to be, we can set up the colonoscopy. So we need to get the screenings for GI. We're setting up and doing mammograms again, so get mammography for our female veterans in. But looking for all these screening and laboratory tests done. So if you have lab scheduled, please come in, get the lab 
tested so we can diagnose things. And colorectal cancer, cancer is one of the largest you know, mm-hmm. killers of men who are of veteran age for the most part. So you know, that is extremely important to make sure that, that we get ahead of those kind of things. That's exactly it. So it's critical that we get screened for these things. You know, the VA, we've done a good job of screening for colon cancer historically, but obviously COVID has impacted the entire nation on screening for these major cancers. So uh, we ask people, make sure you get the preventive care necessary and keep up to date on saying, wait, wait, I need to get that preventive test done. Are there any face-to-face services that aren't available yet that were available pre-COVID that we haven't, you know, reopened? Well, I I mean, we never fully closed. We we always maintained some face-to-face care that was never uh, completely excluded. And we've come a long ways on the the resumption of services. I, I know dental, we've had some struggles in dental because of the, there's an, uh, an aerosolization issue uh, when you're working within someone's um, oral cavity, obviously. So that's probably lagged more than anything else. But we've, I think primary care, we're pushing 80% of pre-COVID levels, volumes there, and then anywhere from 50 up to 80% in the other services. I think it's it, it's important to impress upon our veterans that this is a safe place to come to. We've got every 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 single piece of protective equipment uh, and and multiple levels of protection from cleaning to the distancing to the masking to the screenings to the things that we've talked about earlier. This really is a, a safer place to come to than certainly going to the grocery store. Right oh, now. absolutely. <laughs> so we just we don't want people to ne- neglect their health care. And in speaking to our staff, we've been preparing and are well prepared um, to bring those veterans back. Uh, the nice thing is now you have more options than ever before. The, uh, the bandwidth and our ability to do VA video connect, virtual care, of course, telephone visits and even uh, face-to-face care uh, has been greatly enhanced because we've had that opportunity to improve upon some of those technologies so there's really the opportunity is there we've got uh, willing staff members here we have the capabilities and the capacity and we're one of the leading facilities in the nation as far as i know that that we've been really pushing some of the uh, the telehealth uh, i believe that we are number one in the vision right yes yes we were among the top we're the top in our vision pushing out virtual modalities of care which consists of both video visits and telephone visits so the goal is to transition to much more into video visits rather than maintain lower amounts of telephone visits. So we're working in that in that direction. Of course, the Vizen is our, our local network here in, in Nevada and, and Northern California. Uh, but nationally, where do we stand? Uh, we were number number 14, I think, at last check. Uh, so if you think about that, in terms of complexity, we're about the 50th most complex hospital out of 137, 138 throughout the country um, to be number 14 in terms of the amount of virtual care, telephone, and, and VA video connect is really a, a strong testament and demonstration of how much effort we've put into that to making sure we can get our veterans the care they need. What do you what do you attribute that to? Is that uh, a good job on messaging? Is that uh, patients that are just more receptive to it? Uh, how do you how do you get there? Well, I think we've said all along and and. Uh, Watching, uh, listening to our infectious disease experts, our pulmonary critical care, and certainly Dr. Commandura is our chief of staff, watching the evidence and looking at the studies, we knew early on that this is something we'd have to, you have to live with COVID. Uh, it's a reality that has to be treated, uh, but you can't, 
be so focused and wrapped around COVID that you don't manage the other pathologies and, and healthcare issues mm-hmm. that, that our veterans have. So we, we made, the, made the call long ago and said, we're gonna do everything we can uh, to run parallel, try and resume these services. And we were one of the pilot sites in VA to be able to do that because we were very, very strongly advocating for that while managing COVID at the same time. So we did, uh, we did bend the curve and we were ahead of it a, a bit in that respect. You know, one one aspect of of VA healthcare that I think makes us unique, or really, you know, puts us out in the forefront, is our awesome volunteers that we have. Um, you know, that was one thing that that I was amazed by when I first came here was the greeters, the the red coat ambassadors, all of the the volunteers that we have working here. And you know, naturally, when you know we first realized the pandemic, we a lot of our volunteers are older, um, so we we kind of closed off for the volunteers. Um, is there any word on reinstatement of the volunteer program? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a challenge because we we meet with our our volunteers regularly. We've had some virtual meetings with them and our state commanders, and they are they are so driven and so motivated to help out. The fact of the matter is, many of them are, are older adults, uh, and they're at a, they're in a higher risk, a more vulnerable population. So we have lagged. Uh, the resumption and returning of, of volunteers at this point. We're talking, uh, we're talking, uh, we just spoke yesterday actually on resuming some at least partial operations at the Fisher House, uh, which would allow us to also maybe simultaneously bring some of those Fisher House volunteers yeah. back. That may be the first phase of resuming some voluntary duties. Uh, and we are seeing over the past uh, strongly this past week and uh, the trend over the past couple weeks here in uh, southern Nevada and Nevada as a whole, including actually Arizona and California, the trends in the positivity rates, uh, hospitalization rates are starting to go down. They flattened down and are starting to go down. So if we can maintain that downward trajectory uh, and there's less viral load in the community, we'll have an opportunity to start phasing the volunteers back in. But we don't have an established date yet. What are some of the things the volunteers do here for people that maybe aren't very like, – like what have we lost by not being able to have volunteers in here? I will tell you the volunteers not only help the veterans, they keep the spirits of our staff up. And that's the important thing is to me seeing the volunteer, the red coats. it's like amazing to see – because they build us up because we it's tough work to take care of folks who are ill and, and seriously and right now, especially with COVID, you know, a lot of seriously ill folks, right? It's nice to help the spirits. So volunteers, they work in many different areas in the building. So not just they sometimes will guide veterans, they'll help move veterans one location or another, but they'll also sit with veterans and comfort them. Volunteers drive veterans home in ones that don't have rights, so they... They provide care in, in, in that different direction of into the community. So they're in every part of the medical center. They do surveys looking at what can we do to get better. They're our eyes and ears. Really, they're kind of the link to the director's direct link to the front line of what's going on with the staff, what's going on with the veterans. And that's eyes and ears that you can't get from anyone else except the volunteers. And as you know, the vast majority of volunteers are veterans. So it's like they know exactly what our veterans are experiencing. If you ever want honest input from uh, from somebody, go ahead and ask one of the volunteers. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, no words will be minced, uh, and I always appreciated that. that. Was one of the um, one of the driving forces for me to come back from private sector uh, back to VA ten years ago was that volunteerism. Uh, those veterans that are so passionate, so empowered, and they really do. They speak. They speak the truth mm-hmm. because they care so deeply, and that's a that's a huge bridge uh, for myself and the rest of the executive team. 
Yeah, we definitely miss having him around. Yeah, we've we got one that works with us, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's a vital part of our team. Yeah. So it would be great to be able to have them back. Uh, one thing coming up in the next couple months is, of course, the beginning of flu season. And we'll, we'll dedicate a, an episode of the podcast to, to talking with you know, some of our experts mm-hmm. about the, the flu season specifically. But you know, as we prepare for that, how is the VA Southern Nevada healthcare system you know, handling the potential of having two respiratory illnesses simultaneously? Well, the, the good news is that what we're seeing in the Southern Hemisphere thus far is, is two things. It looks like the, the vaccine this year, the influenza vaccine, appears to be spot on, which is showing good, good immunity for influenza. And the volume of influenza has been much lower in the Southern Hemisphere. And we think that's because the same precautions we're taking for COVID actually apply for influenza as well, the droplet precautions and masking and distancing and, and those types of things that we've been doing, the cleaning. So that should help uh, give us a should help mitigate some of those numbers. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, influenza is coming as it does every year, mm-hmm. uh, and we've already prepared with the, the surge plans and how to expand beds if needed. Uh, but it's really critical that we work uh, we work on making sure that our employees and our veterans are vaccinated. And it's absolutely critical um, that we get vaccinated if any year this year for sure. I mean, the one. Obviously, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, of course, which is a, a huge problem. And it's also a pandemic that's a respiratory illness. So now you can have some distinguishing issues with both of them. They can look the same. The other important thing is we know the flu shot saves lives. So, you know, effectiveness, as Mr. Karen said, looks can be good. Even years when the flu shot is not very effective, it, by using a good number of the population taking the flu shot, it still saves thousands of people's lives. So it's absolutely critical that we can save, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 40,000, whatever number we can save by using the flu shot. It's absolutely critical. So everyone needs to get that. Good thing for our veterans is your ability to get access to the flu shot is not just at the VA. The great thing for our veterans is you have access to get the flu shot to CVS, Walgreens, and other settings in the community. So it, this is a good year to make sure we get this done probably starting in mid-September, I think it'll be widely available. But we, and we're gonna ask, of course, we expect all of our employees to get flu shot this year. So that's gonna be a condition of employment for our employees. But it's something that, uh, Mr. Karen, you were ta- talking about earlier that we don't wanna address too early. We wanna make sure that we kind of hit it right in the right time window, right? Yeah, the, the timing, uh, I, I think out here, the, the talk is, uh, you know, late September, early October is about the right timing for immunization. So that's when we'll ramp up our services and, and get the um, get the vaccine rolling out. So, and like I said, next week or uh, in two weeks, in our next podcast, we'll uh, we'll have a few of our our flu experts to come on and, and address some of those concerns in a little bit more detail. Um, I do have a couple things that I want to make sure that we that we address before we we go today. Um, the Veterans Day barbecue, which is one of our our big events every year, and yeah. one of the things that we look forward to most, uh, having the public all come out and enjoy some some fun in the sun. Uh, unfortunately, is is going to be canceled this year. So um, there are going to there might be <laughs> some alternative ways to enjoy the We're working uh, on it. The yeah. Veterans We're Day. So stay tuned for that because for those car enthusiasts out there, we we may have a surprise for you. Uh, and and one last thing. Um, the employees for a while have been using a screening app when they uh, come into the facility, and it's kind of helped to expedite the process of going through uh, the check-in. It makes life easier for our screeners, and it makes your day go by faster, um, and we've made that available to veterans now. 
So uh, as you come into the building, you'll see a sign outside. So if you're waiting in line and you see it's going to be a little bit, uh, there's a number you can text and go ahead and text that into your phone. It'll give you a little questionnaire and all you need to do is show that to the screeners when you come in. And presuming you're properly masked up, um, it'll you know make your appointment go by that much faster. So make sure you uh, take advantage of that when you come in. And be nice to the screeners, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, many of the, the screeners are, are people who've who've come to work here, um, you know, solely for for the reason of making you know this place, you know, more safe and operate uh, more smoothly. Operate more smoothly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so you know, be nice to them. Um, so, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast, and uh, we look forward to uh, having you on again. Yeah, I, I know these are challenging times, and, and it can be, be frustrating, but there is great, great, great reason for optimism. I mean, there's multiple vaccines in the pipeline. Uh, we're, we're very hopeful and optimistic that there'll be great efficacy with that. This, um, this won't last forever. Uh, I think healthcare and many other things maybe are forever changed, um, but, but the extremes uh, and, the, and the duress and the things that we're having to go through now, I know will mitigate over time. Uh, the therapeutics are improving. The vaccines are on, the, on its way. Uh, we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. I could say, I tell you, the VA, you know, no matter what other system you're looking at, the VA will always be there for veterans. That's the important thing. That We're here for you. It's our responsibility to take care of you. And everything you need, we have to work on making sure you get the services. So please come in. Let's get the preventive care. Let's have you come in. We'll get through this, and there, there will be a rainbow after this. So we'll get there. But thank you for hanging in, and thank you for using our services. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you for listening out there. We will uh, be back in two weeks with your next Nine Line podcast. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.